Hey there, and welcome to episode 119 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. I am joined by my guest, Elena Guberman, one of my absolute favorite women in food to talk about supply chain and operations. So in this episode, we're going to discuss the key things to think about as you start and grow your CPG business. We'll discuss how to manage production when you don't have outside investors and how to create a strong supply chain. We have so much to talk about today, so let's get right to it. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. If you love the Food Biz Whiz podcast, you have got to join us inside of Retail Ready with our fourth quarter cohort. It is time for you to take the leap. It's time for you to work on your business with our support so you can be ready to pitch to new wholesale accounts and land on more shelves in January when wholesale buyers get past the holidays and start to consider new products for their shelves. Don't have time to work on your business during this busy period? I get it. I mean, if we're being totally honest, there's never a great time to press pause, to catch your breath, and to make some changes. You have to make the time to do it. I know the time is tight, so we are doing something that we never do. No sales calls, no wait lists, no free masterclass, no back and forth emails about Retail Ready, and instead we are inviting you to join us today. Click through to the enrollment page linked in the show notes and get inside Retail Ready. We are ready to help you. Hi, Elena. Welcome to Food Biz Whiz. Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me. Of course. I feel like this episode is like, it's been a long time coming. I am so surprised I haven't had you on the podcast yet. So it is, it's about time. It's great to have you here. Let's start with a little bit of your background because I know you quite well, but, and I imagine lots of our listeners know you, but um, there might be strangers out there who, who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet. So I know you've done so many things in our CPG industry. You've worked internally with some better for you brands, you've done consulting, you started your own business. Let's let's learn a little bit more about your background and maybe talk a bit about your exciting new role as well. How's that sound? That sounds great. I'd love to. How'd you get started in the industry? So um I did not study anything remotely related to operations or supply chain. Yep. Um, my major was art history and Spanish, and I wanted to do something with the United Nations. But um, after interning at the UN, I realized that that wasn't it for me. Mm-hmm. And I graduated during a recession. So I ended up working full-time for a job that I had part-time uh, for mm-hmm. a manufacturer that made stuff overseas, shipped it into the US, and sold it in stores like Costco, BJ's, mm-hmm. uh, Home Depot. And I was with them through the dot-com boom where we took all of our products and we launched them online. And normally I would walk into like 30 orders, 40 orders, and I would spend the day leisurely keying them in. And it was quite an easy job. But one morning uh, when we launched on Costco.com, I walked to four and I walked in to four and a half thousand orders. And even with speed, there's only so many keys you could hit in a minute. (laughs) Uh, We hired temps. We got over that hurdle. But what I took away from that was really 
that there's just got to be a better way, right? Yeah. Like how I'm not printing out 4,000 pages every day. Yeah. So I took the next year and a half at that company to really redo their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned about EDI, which is uh, an unpleasant topic for many CPG brands, but I kind of had to dig into it and I set up the infrastructure for um, managing orders that come in to our warehouse, to our accounting team, to getting shipping mm-hmm. information out um, back in like, pre-2010. So the technology now is quite different than it was then, but I truly loved seeing all of that come together. Mm. And over the course of that year, we also grew as a company. I managed more operations and I really just fell in love with ops um, Mm. and seeing how all of the pieces come together and being a part of that and and seeing it come to fruition was seemed really exciting. So I stayed at that role for four or five years. And then a part of like- That's a long time, especially when you're like- you know, when you thought it was just going to be a little like part-time job for a while. Totally. Totally. Like I, I truly like loved it. Um, it took me probably a year and a half to redo our infrastructure and really Mm -hmm. set us up for, um, high growth, but we went from 2 million to 25 million while I was there. We didn't hire a single person. It really kind of all automated. Wow. Um, so I took away with me this love of efficiency and optimization, but I realized I didn't really love the products that we were creating. Yep. And I ended up uh, quitting my job before I had one, much to the dismay of my family. And I walked around, truthfully, walked around Whole Foods, emailing brands. I would pick up packaging off the shelf and I would find their website. And if I liked the, I think everything from like supplements to snacks to yep. drinks, yep. Um, I just sent out emails and walked around aisles. Oh my gosh. Um, and eventually, <laughs> uh, it actually didn't take as long as one would expect. It's yep. about a week and a half. I found out. Oh my God. That's fast. Yeah, I think, I think I, I spent a lot of time in those aisles and emails a lot of people, but uh, there was a company in Brooklyn called Little Duck Organics. Uh, their ops manager was moving to Miami. So they needed someone for logistics. It was my mm. first job in CPG. Um, honestly, very similar to what I was doing before, yeah. but different size, different quantity per pallet, um, mm. different retailers, but overall the same kind of, there are 20 moving parts. They all need yep. to come together. Definitely a learning on the food side mm. um, because my previous company didn't serve food. So a lot of like FDA yeah. regulatory learnings, oh. right? Yeah. <laughs> I know for those who are listening to the podcast, instead of watching us on video, I just like rolled my eyes and we both took a big sigh here. Uh, uh, Elena, I feel like ops is something that food founders typically are like that they struggle with, right? That like most people get into the food industry because they're passionate about the product, but they're not passionate about the operations. Yeah. Um, I I, see it it all the time. Totally. Like people don't love spreadsheets and also a lot of ops, if not all of ops is really problem solving. Yeah. So at least that's how I think of it to keep, Mm -hmm. to keep sane. Um, Everything is, a little bit of a challenge, but, um, for me, and I completely agree with you, like it is very different than the outside look of a food company. It kind of feels more glamorous. I might have been in it too long to feel like it's glamorous, but it might feel glamorous to some, especially if you're just starting out and you believe in this thing that you dream of getting on a shelf. Mm -hmm. But for me, operations, and I think maybe what what I've told everyone I've worked with and consulted for, you really have to think of operations as like 
maybe I'm a little biased, but like the heart of everything, Mm because everything kind of pumps through it, right? In order to get a jar, you have to figure out what kind of jar you're looking for. In order to get that label onto the jar, you need a partner, a manufacturing partner who can put it there. Mm -hmm. Um, Same goes for ingredients. Same goes for like regulatory and FDA compliance. And then you get into, you know, the distribution part. So it's always these many components coming together with this goal of getting your product into hands or pantries mm. or refrigerators. That's a really a lovely way to look at it and and to realize that without without the ops coming together, you can't serve the the customers who who need your product so desperately, right? Yeah. You know, there was mm. um another podcast that um Taste Radio put out a while okay. ago, years ago, uh, where they interviewed Todd Carmichael, the founder of Look Alone. Mm-hmm. And he, this is a little digression, but I love this story. And it's such a great episode where he um, sat down with the founder of Chobani at one point. And the founder of Chobani was like, what do you want to do with these 12 coffee shops? And mm-hmm. at that point, local yeah. was coffee shops. Yeah. And he's like, what is your goal? Like at the, you know, what is your bigger vision? Mm-hmm. Todd said, I want everyone to try my coffee. Mm. And the response was, well, they're not going to do that in <laughs> Like no one's, not everyone is going to come to your coffee shop. So yes. you have to think about how to get this product to them in a different way. Right. Um, I look at Lookalum a lot as like an example of um, how they've grown. And it really is just that, like, if you want your product to go to many people, yeah. you have to think of, you have to think outside of the box in more ways than yeah. one of how to get there. And there's Robux along the entire way, right? You're going <laughs> to get rejected from stores. You're going to get incorrect yep. packaging. You're going to get uh, incorrect labels, like, and you could avoid some of them, but it's okay. Like those pitfalls just keep, or those challenges or obstacles just keep coming. And that's, that's okay. All of it is like a learning, at least to me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to go back after we record here. I'm going to find that podcast episode. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to link it in our show notes because you've really like, you know, piqued my interest here. That sounds like a, a great episode to listen to. And I think, you know, I, I, I want to highlight what you said that like, especially like the journey of an entrepreneur is it's challenging because there's no end. There's no like no. finish line. There's no like top of the mm. mountain. <laughs> I mean, unless of course you, you sell your business, but then likely you go and like do something else. Cause you're an entrepreneur. Right. And so yeah. I think, I just think about that. I mean, this is gosh, a, a topic for a whole other episode, but that constant climb without like a definitive end in place mm-hmm. can, can really be so taxing on, on entrepreneurs. Totally. totally. I think I completely agree. And there is truly like, there is no end, right? You're always, Mm-mm. I found entrepreneurs and I've worked in a number of brands. I had a consulting agency yep. that worked with brands across yep. the aisle. And then I ended up founding a company myself. And now I've moved on to kind of a different company to lead that company to to just like to into the market. And I think along the way for me, entrepreneurship always comes back to curiosity. Mm. Like there will be challenges, but be curious about how to fix them or get around them. And then maybe they're easier and maybe they're not, but um, surround yourself with good people and talk to other entrepreneurs. Cause we're all in the same like yeah. shaky, <laughs> tiny boat and <laughs> waves are smashing against us but we're like clinging to this boat and we are all on a mission. And yeah. I think that's, that's a great point. Like there's a lot of loneliness in it mm. and a lot of like fear and days can have like such high highs and such low lows. Yes. 
but oh, it, it really can. It, it's all a part of it's all a part of it, I think. And yeah. it's it's not for everyone, but for the for for those of us that love it, yeah, the, the insanity that comes with it. Um, you kind of just take it day by day yeah. and plan the best you can. And the rewards are there too in the end, mm-hmm. or and I shouldn't even say in the end, the rewards are there too. Like there are bright moments as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, we have, um, the new company that I've started with our yeah. first production run, um, is coming up and I'm so excited to just be on that line to smell the smells and to see the Ugh. jars getting filled. And there's there, those moments for me are like the greatest joys. I'm I'm really thrilled for you. And I can't wait until we circle back and, you know, Q2 and see how you guys survived the holiday season and early into 2022. Um, Elena, do you want to keep the, I'm going to, I'm going to put this on you, but do you want to keep the like name and such of the company private for now? Or do you want to share it uh, here on the podcast? No, I can share it. I'd be happy to. Tell us about your new role. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. Um, so I, a couple of months ago, I started as the CEO of a company called To Be Honest, TBH, and we are making a vegan hazelnut spread, um, much to mirror the kind of market leader Nutella. Yep. Um, what we've done and um, our brand is coming out of a venture studio that's been working on this concept for almost two years. Mm-hmm. There's a celebrity founder. Um, his name is Noah Schnapp. He's with um, the cast of Stranger Things. So a popular Netflix show. Yep. And um, over the time that uh, our venture studio, Umana and Noah sat down, mm-hmm. they really wanted to get to the root of his passion. And after brainstorming and discussion, he is quintessential Gen Z and he is mm-hmm. super passionate about making a difference for the generations to come and breakfast. So it was really the, <laughs> these two roads kind of coming together. I love this. And <laughs> when, when they kind of dug into Nutella as like a favorite snack yep. and, and came across, you know, the ingredients that are mm. in it that are not great. Yep. Um, the amount of sugar that is inside of it. Yep. We really came to a challenge um, to recreate that same I like to think of it as like a cultural thing. Like you, you smell yeah. Nutella and you yeah. eat it for breakfast and you usually eat it with your family and it has this yeah. smell and this taste and yes. this credibility. So it was really a challenge to recreate that without palm oil. Um, yeah. It's really a magical ingredient, but it is not great for our forests and mm-hmm. our environment. And truly, I think we, like we, I include myself as the, one of the last people involved, but the team, um, Umana, Noah, like all of them and myself over the last couple of months really came to like an incredible formula that tastes, Mm. I cannot wait for you to try it. It tastes so good. And I'm not even like a hazelnut spread lover, but I eat it all the time now. And the brand really wants to, we're rooted in this mission for sustainability Mm. and this mission to uh, recreate the norms that our norms now, but the new generation yeah. might want to recreate those norms to be a little bit better. So yeah. we're launching on um, live on November 1st and we're making public announcements at the end of October. So uh, I think by the yeah, time- Yeah, just in time for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Just in time. It's uh, the first time I'm publicly talking about it because we've been so <gasps> stealth and just heads down. Um, but we have an incredible team. I feel really lucky to be a part of it and I'm excited to grow it. Um, we're going to stay away from retail, just stay D to C for the time being, but mid next year, we'll start popping up, um, on shelves regionally. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, 
honored that you are talking about TBH for the very first time on the podcast. And I'm, yes. I'm just so excited to hear how this role goes and, and, and what, you know, what comes out of it. This is yeah. exciting. It's, it's interesting because um, like a CEO role is a little different than what I've previously mm. done, except for being a founder myself. Yep. There's a lot, like I am, I'm used to being in the weeds for the ops side. Yep. And right now um, our CFO and I kind of are trying to together manage our operations. Mm. Um, we only have one SKU, so it's yep. it's not too terrible at this yep. point. Um, and as we grow, we'll definitely bring on added support. But I think for me, it's been very interesting and the advice that I've gotten from others, um, who, who are, you know, are four years plus in their journeys yep. and, and friends and advisors is just to stay away from that, which feels comfortable. Mm. And for me, ops and supply chain feels comfortable. So, <laughs> um, I am challenging myself here with, uh, being more involved with our board and communication mm. and kind of higher strategy. And, and there's so much joy that kind of is associated with seeing all of those pieces come together too. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like you have your head in the right place. I think so. I mean, it changes every day, like we said before, but, but right now. Yeah. You're like, talk to me tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's, let's actually, let's talk about supply chain and operations. I mean, I know you just said that, um, you know, that really historically has been your zone of genius and you are like stepping into this new role, but I'm going to, I'm going to have like, pull you back into supply chain and ops for the the sake of this this podcast. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's, let's take this like 10,000 foot view and imagine that I am a new food founder. I've got my like passionate product. I have my better, better for you brand. And I'm like, oh shoot, there's something called supply chain and operations. I hear this word floating around, like where the heck do I start? So I would recommend mm-hmm. starting with like knowing where you're going, which Mm. sounds like it's easy, but if you really just take a notepad or open up a computer and write down, like, what is my product and all the components in it? Yep. And I think that's a good place to start. Um, Once you have your composition or your formula or your Mm -hmm. recipe, however you refer to it, you know, the ingredients you need. Yep. Think about a form factor. And for me, sometimes it's almost helpful taking like something out of your pantry and looking yep. at it and scrutinizing every part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, think about what certifications, like what pillar, what is important to your brand is being mm-hmm. organic important that right. will change where you source your ingredients that will change potentially what those ingredients can be. Yep. Um, and then I would begin to plan out like how it would come together. So for me in my career, I've always kind of appreciated partnerships because no mm. one, we can't do it alone, or yeah. maybe you can in your kitchen for some time, <laughs> right. but if you're looking to scale at some point, yeah. you're going to need partners Yep. and those partners are key. Um, mm. So partners for your ingredients, partners for packaging, yep. for the actual manufacturing, yep. um, for distribution, all of those are entities that pertain to you. Yeah. Um, and those are quintessential to growth. If you have good partners, they will support you. If they know where you want to be in six months, they will try to work with you. Uh, Frequently, I found that founders that are just starting out have told me that manufacturers don't want to talk to them or the costing is too high. Yeah. And and that is all 
probably true. Yep. Um, it is likely true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that, and there are a couple of ways that you can get around that. You can continue following up with them and make them mm. feel confident in your product. Mm. So by that, I mean like come to them with this formula or be confident in your form factor mm-hmm. or research others and be intelligent in the vocabulary that you're using. Um, I deal with, I run a, a Facebook group with a girlfriend yep. of mine yeah. at OMG CPG. Yeah. That you're, we'll, we're lucky to have people like you in it too. We'll put it in and the I, show notes as well. Yeah. That's a great, yes, great suggestion. That'd be great. Yep. I, I think that what I see a lot for early stage founders in OMG CPG and the group is limited to founders. We try not to let service providers in. We want mm-hmm. it to be a safe space where those elements of loneliness can kind of yep. get pulled away. Um, but frequently what folks say is like, um, you know, I'm looking for X I need by, I don't know, in two weeks. Like yep. I'm looking for yeah. a bag. I need oh, it in two yeah. weeks. Yep. For folks like myself that are also a part of OMG CPG that could answer those questions, yeah. it is often much more helpful to say, I need a resealable zippered pouch <laughs> that like that is three I, inches by six inches yes. to yes. be, you know, to be co-packed with uh, kimchi. Yes. Like that paints a fuller picture for folks like myself, because we might have the resources, but yeah. saying you need a bag isn't enough because there are machines. And for me, like I tend to think of supply chain in terms of machinery as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there are machines that can't go above four inches or can't have width yep. that you might want, or yep. don't do zippers or yep. don't do resealable or don't do punch holes. Like all of those elements that seem super small are actually important. And I think if you're starting out, truly just like think through it. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that the answers are in stone. You can change right. them. But going to a manufacturer with more concrete information will give you like stronger legs to stand on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, and, and if they don't, if they say no, or if they give you a quote, that's crazy or like, that seems crazy. Yeah. Okay. Find four more manufacturers. It's just information. It's just information. Yeah. Yep. Put, put like find groups like OMG CPG and there are a couple like really strong CPG communities. Like we're all here to support each other. And for me, competition is kind of awesome because it creates a demand in the space and a spot in the grocery store. And you know this better than everyone. So for me, like if you, if someone told you $5 to pack something out, put that in the group and be like, guys, like, is this crazy? Like, is it crazy to me? Or is this genuinely right. a high number? Right. Right. Um, yeah. Just there's, there's I, a couple things that I want to highlight here. And it's really interesting when you right at the beginning, you said just like list it out right? And my brain immediately went to, okay, so I've got this, let's just say I make vegan Nutella, a vegan hazelnut spread. (laughs) My brain went to sketching out a picture of the jar and literally having lines coming out of it saying lid, seal, label, glass jar, ingredients, and like bullet pointing out like every single thing that makes up the physical product before I, and it's just a dream, right? Or it's just, it's coming together. I can change it. Right. Um, as my first step before I start picturing, where am I going to sell it? What is the price point going to be? Like, am I going to produce it myself? Like just that first step of bullet pointing it out was such a, I don't know, such an aha moment for me. Totally. And I, I think that's the best way to approach it. Mm. And as you make those lines, like I'm a big Google docs person, I feel like yeah. if I don't write it down, I forget Same. it. So 
Same. Like if you start or now I've been using Miro a lot as mm-hmm. well for like mind mapping. But I think if like you make a, a whiteboard or a Miro board or whatever with what you said, like a sketch of a jar. Yep. And then let's say you have a line that says like a uh, jar. Yeah. From yeah. there, you'll find that like, if you truly think about it, you could be a jar, but like what kind of jar? Is yes. it a plastic jar? Is it a recyclable plastic jar? Is it a glass jar? And each of those in themselves will be able to like redirect and reshift yes. who you're talking to, yes. the quantities that you're buying in, um, the manufacturing capabilities that yep. might exist. Yep. Um, so really like drilling into each of those things. And it sounds so silly, but like, that's exactly what you do. Oh, I feel like y- our brains work on a similar wavelength here where it's like, it really is that like mind map where then I choose jar and it leads me. If you're watching the yeah. video, I'm like pointing all over the place. <laughs> it leads me to all of these different options. And I'm able to cut some things out because I know they're not aligned with my brand values, right? Like maybe I will never go in plastic or maybe I will never do, I don't know, um, two ounce jars or whatever it is, but it helps me narrow down, um, where I go next. And Elena, I I heard you say it narrows down or, um, clarifies what I'm asking from my partners, right? So instead of saying, I'm looking for a jar for my hazelnut spread, I can say I'm looking for an eight ounce glass jar with this type of cap and blah, 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 blah. Right. Exactly. And I think that just gives confidence to your partners in, in working with you. Um, Yeah. I mean, well, you and I can talk about it from a a service level and we spend a lot of time training our folks in retail ready uh, right from the beginning on how to ask specific questions for feedback, right? Because Mm -hmm. I thought your example of a, I'm looking for a pouch or, Hey, I'm looking for a co-packer for my sauce. Yeah. What is that? (laughs) Like, What's your sauce? Where are you located? Is it in a pouch? Is it in a jar? Is it vegan? vegan? Like, you know, whatever. And I, I think you and I really connected there on that, that idea that service providers have limited bandwidth and yet we all want to help. So make it easy for us and your fellow food founders to help you by asking more pointed questions, right? Totally. Totally. And you're completely right about like us kind of dealing with this from the consulting side too, right? Like I want to help. Again, I frequently talk to founders who are going through operational challenges And I try to either pair them with better suppliers or better yep. partners yep. Um, and and extend my network. But it becomes more challenging if you don't. It's kind of like talking to a lawyer who charges it. Like, it's kind of talking to a lawyer and be like, I need legal help. <laughs> and, you know, there's there so many different yes. lawyers. Yes. Like, you just, yes. you have to start somewhere. Yes. Um, I, um, I'm laughing because a few episodes ago, I used this example of, uh, I, I imagine you get messages like this a lot too. But, uh, hey, Allie, would you be on my advisory board? Yeah. I'm like, give me details. What's your product? What do I get in exchange for being on your advisory board? What's the yeah. commitment? Where are you what struggling? Do you need help with? How yeah. do I fit in your entire board? Yes. Like, I might say yes if I know more details. Exactly. Okay. And I think it also yeah. is like um, valuing time, like other mm-hmm. people's time. Mm-hmm. So think of that example that you just gave. Like someone's like, do you want an advisory role? That's going to require you when you see that to like immediately have so many questions yep. 
that the idea of continuing a conversation with this person just feels daunting. And for manufacturers, it's almost similar. Like, yes, if you can lower the number of back and forths, yes, it's kind of like Calendly. Calendly has prevented us (laughs) from like going back and forth to schedule. You want to do that for manufacturers too. If you can answer all of their questions right away, sometimes they have a form on their site, like do some digging and really be prepared. Um, And if they still, like, I guess my other piece of advice would be like, if they still don't want to talk to you, Mm. keep following up. Like a part of being a founder is being a salesperson and a good salesperson never gives up. Yeah. So it's okay if they don't answer. It's okay if they say no, say politely, thank you. And we'll keep you posted on our progress. And yeah. who knows, maybe, maybe in, in six months, you'll be in a completely different position and you'll yep. continue. And this way they have a whole thread of how you've been begging them to give you jars. <laughs> and now all of a sudden you need a hundred thousand and they're much more keen to listen. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I felt like there was, there's so many parallels there in pitching to wholesale accounts as well that, you know, do your research, present all the information and follow up until you get that hard no. And then you still follow up afterwards. Totally. Okay. I want to talk about, I want to talk about this next question that comes up a lot. That's like, okay, cool. Like I've, I understand where I'm going. I I've got this vision. I know exactly what I need, but I don't have any money. (laughs) I don't have cash. (laughs) What, what happens then? Yeah. I mean, it's a problem for absolutely everybody. There are very few companies who have no problem with cash. Yeah. especially in CPG, where once you enter retail and in general, right, if you're yeah. D2C, you're paying for shipping. If you're in retail, you're paying for other promotions, advertising, yep. et cetera. So yep. margins are tight all around. Yep. Um, I want, like, I want to answer this in two parts. The first okay. part is related to what we were previously talking about, which is understand your cogs, mm. like truly know where your cogs are right now. Maybe know where they're going to be if you reach some kind of scale, mm-hmm. but know what you need in order to make your product. Yeah. That's like number one in general yep. advice. Yep. Um, my answer to your question of like, what do you do if you have this brilliant idea or yeah. this passion and you have no capital? There are a couple of, I'm sure there are endless options, but mm-hmm. I have three that come to mind. Mm-hmm. You could bootstrap it. You could put in some yep. of your money. If you have it, you could ask friends. You can kind of do like a friends or family yeah. pool and be like, can I have, you know, a thousand, five thousand dollars from XYZ? Yep. Um, or you could kind of bootstrap it yourself to get you to a number of jars mm-hmm. that feel comfortable, that give you maybe validation if you're looking mm-hmm. for that. Yep. Um, and maybe get you kind of um in a better place with revenue coming in to start inching up production little by little. Yep. If you're looking to go to a larger manufacturer, it's a little challenging to bootstrap because you're going to need to yeah. pay upfront for yeah. a substantial sized run and then have to warehouse all that stuff. So immediately the cash is, is high, uh, cash outlay is high. So you can fundraise, um, mm-hmm. you can seek out institutional capital, uh, go to investors, VCs, yep. angel investors. Um, and sometimes that is challenging because maybe the network isn't there or... Mm. Um, or you're scared or, um, or yeah, I, I, those are the two that come to mind. Like you don't want to for a reason X or Y, or you just don't know who to go to. Yeah. To to that, I'll say, if you have an idea and you have 
a product that you think is amazing, but more importantly, that like 20 other people think is amazing. <laughs> right. Who and aren't your those, friends and family, right? Like 20 not your strangers f- think yeah. it's amazing. Yep. yep. Like 20 strangers who will say like, I will buy your product for yep. X dollars yep. today because I'm desperate for it. And I've been seeking it out. And this is heaven. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of glowing reviews. I would say like to the scared part, like, don't be scared. Everyone is always <laughs> scared. And that just don't be scared. Squash yep. that. Yep. Um, reach out to other founders who've done it. They'll give you words of support and encouragement. Yeah. Uh, reach out to us. Like we'll yep. give you words of support and encouragement. Um, and as far as like finding investors, there are a couple of different ways you can go about it. You can, I always love talking, like I always love recommendations. And again, like mm. I believe in relationships. So I, I would say ask 20 people. This is just my common advice. Yep. Like ask 20 people. Uh, or tell 20 people that you are fundraising mm-hmm. and you are looking for angels. This yep. is your product. Again, give them all of the information, yep. a blurb yes. about your product, <laughs> how much money you need, what that money is for. Yep. Even if you don't have a deck, like write it out in words. Yep. Decks are taxing and frustrating, especially if you're not a designer. So everyone here is the problem there. Write it out in words yep. in my work. Yeah. Um, and then tell those 20 people to send, like to connect you with five people each. It is literally a hundred people that you could potentially be connected to. And slowly but surely you will build that network. Um, But I always say like, start with friends, family, join OMG CPG and other CPG groups and like leverage what you do know. Ask your suppliers, ask your manufacturers. Yeah. Um, Ask your retailers. I mean, gosh, I, I know so many retailers who have helped brands find funding. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. We can also link, um, my a girlfriend from the space who you know Sally Rogers and I yeah. created a, a site called Build CPT. Oh yeah, great idea. Yep. Yeah, and we have um, at this point like uh, over 800 manufacturers. We have uh, communities in there, books to read, podcasts to yep. listen to, um, manufacturers, ingredient suppliers, yep. uh, verific like certification suppliers. Um, we just added on investors, um, good angels mm. onto that. Um, site as well. So Great. that can be a resource, but really like you just have to look for it and, yeah. and not be scared and be persistent. Yeah. Um, and there's and it no, will come. there's no shortcut, right? It's, it's no networking shortcut. partnerships. Like if, if you need, if you need cash, which is often the reality, right? There's no shortcut. No, like I, I've been truly like head down, just working for the last <laughs> over 10 years. And um, only recently am I like, okay, like I stepped back maybe during COVID I had yeah. time to do some introspection. <laughs> I stepped back and was like, you know, I'm, I feel great about the network I've built. And for mm-hmm. people who are just starting out, like yeah. maybe they don't have that, but you will get there. Like they yeah. will get there in time. It's really just like keep jumping through the hurdles and treat each hurdle more as a learning than any kind of like failure yeah. or impediment. Like those words shouldn't exist. Everything is just one day at a time and a learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then maybe the third thing I'll say about fundraising is um, you could crowdfund. That's the third. Mm, yep. Um, yep. Kind, of, kind of related to like partnerships and, and yep. relationships. Um, there, there are people better than I to speak more eloquently on fundraising, but there are some brands that have done it so beautifully. Um, Courtney Boyd Myers from Akua is one of them. Yeah. Who, we've got a, a past podcast episode with her. From awesome. way back when, when she did her, I think she did Kickstarter and she raised like, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, like so quickly. Um, yeah. and she yeah. shared a lot of her secrets there. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. Yeah. She also wrote, um, 
after their Kickstarter mm. campaign, they did a Republic campaign yep. that uh, reached the Republic like cap to <sighs> investing. I think it was like one point, like one point, um, it was 1,500 or something oh like that. Gosh. But but she managed to reach an incredible threshold. So she she's much she's more uh, prepared yeah. to speak about that than <laughs> I. But I think in general, um, my company Rubbish tried a fundraising campaign. Mm-hmm. I think my learning from that was like, you need um, a strong network of yeah. people prepared to say yes. So it's yep. not like you can't rely on the organic yep. uh, nature of things. Yep. And, and I think relationship there are important as well. Like the yeah. net, like telling the narrative and the story. Yeah. Um, but there are also groups like I fund women who mm-hmm. help mm-hmm. Um, with things like fundraising yep. or, or uh, crowdfunding. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. I want to do a, a little bit of rapid fire before I let you go. And it's yes. on supply chain. Amazing. I want to know three things that our food founders can do to make sure that their supply chain is strong. Okay. Um, The first is duplicity. So make sure that for everything you have, you have a backup. You don't Mm -hmm. have to use it, but things happen and you want to be prepared for those scenarios. Um. We're seeing that people, a, we're seeing that a lot right now. Oh yeah, supply chains are completely I mean, or for the past running a month. Yeah, yeah, insanity right now. And also, like on top of COVID, like paper prices are going up. Yep. That means Corrigan yep. is going up. Ingredient prices are going up. Freight is a disaster. Yep. So, duplicity um, ties into my second answer, okay. which is partnerships. Mm. So find the duplicity. Make sure your number one is your number one, your go-to. You have a strong partnership, but don't forget about your number two. Like they will be the ones that you call in an event of an emergency (laughs) and you want them to remember who you are and be excited to work with you. So creating that duplicity and those partnerships are key. Um, The third is, um, you know, it comes down to like being honest with yourself Mm. a lot of the time. So be honest and and stay away from vanity metrics. Um, oh, in operations, yeah. we tend to, it, it's frequently a battle for ops, a battle, I, I don't think against is the right word, but it's a mm. battle with sales and then another battle with marketing. Yep. Um, and it's a battle for money. It's a battle for uh, quantity. Mm-hmm. And it's on the operations side, like we're going to make how much you tell us we are going to sell. Yep. So if you know, where there's an influencer who's going to talk about our brand and we expect X, make sure to drill into where that X is coming from. And I'm speaking from a position of like our founder at TBH is a celebrity too. So we're going through this too, but how can you balance the the vanity metrics with the reality? And I think being honest with what the reality is, is, and again, it's always okay. Like the it's fine. Like you can make more, you can take marketing and spin selling out to be something amazing. Yes. Like so many people wanted your stuff that you are sold out. Like, and people are angry that they can't get it. That's incredible. (laughs) Yes. So, so I think vanity metrics are, are a big one for me, how to balance that and continue being honest, like with ourselves and with our teammates, our colleagues, keeping our salespeople honest. Yeah. Oh, those are good ones. (sighs) Yeah. Those are good ones. Oh man. I just, I think it's so important to move away from, you know, yeah, those vanity metrics. What, what makes us feel good? What makes us uh, think that we're doing a great job or proving to the world that we're doing a great job. And the reality is very different on paper. 
Yeah. Especially like we live in a world of social media, like Mm -hmm. things look beautiful on Instagram, but the reality is so much different. And I think that it's important to, to like stay humble and to drill into things um, and to to kind of take it in, in stride. Um, I think I spent a little bit of time in tech uh, between leaving my consulting agency and joining TBH and, uh, and my company rubbish was fundamentally like a tech company. So being around that environment, the Mm. more tech founders and CPD founders, it was such a like complete eye opener for me that in tech, they have data on everything. Yeah. They know what we're doing. (laughs) They know how many times we don't click on a tab so that over time they're like, let's redesign that tab. It doesn't belong there. No one clicks on it. We don't have that in CPG, which is yeah. why like feedback from people eating your product, seeing mm. them eat it, there's nothing, there's nothing more amazing than that. Like those yeah. testimonials, those are the opposite of vanity metrics, right? right? Like yes. someone eats your stuff and gasps and they're like, oh my God, this is great. I finished a jar in a day. There's nothing that can beat that. Like we're, we, we have to acknowledge that there are these like inherent challenges in CPG mm-hmm. um, and a lot of those vanity metrics that we we might see like it's hard to get to the root of them, but there are ways to look at it in in a different like from a different standpoint and say like yeah. I don't care about the likes, but like people love my product. Right. Um, yeah. mm, that's a great way to that's a great great way to frame it. I love that. Okay, thank you for being Ooh. on the podcast. I feel like I could keep chatting for another hour. Here we have so much. So much that we um, that really like align us and and so many things that we could have shared with our audience. So we'll have to do round two at some point when you come up for air after your big product launch, holidays, quarter one, catch your breath maybe in the summer. I'm not sure. Yes. That sounds that sounds wonderful. It's so great talking about all this stuff, especially because it is a lonely ride. So it's so nice, like resurrecting. All of these yes. topics that everyone deals with and yeah, yeah, hopefully everyone that listens to it, it resonates that they're like oh. not alone, that ops is tough and um, just write things down and write things down in conclusion, write things down. So Elena, how can people keep in touch with you? Where can they find you? Yeah. Um, all of my DMS are open on okay. LinkedIn and Instagram. I don't even know if there are closed DMS, but I think those would be the two platforms <laughs> to find me. Great. Um, so connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, right. yeah, follow we'll put, me on yeah, Instagram. We'll put all of that in the show notes, including all of those great resources that we talked about today. I'm excited to link up those other podcast episodes, build CPG, OMG CPG, and you know, all the things that we talked about and, um, hopefully a live link to TBH. Yes. Our website's going to be snacktbh.com. Fantastic. And uh, I think when this airs, we will be live. So I would love Wonderful. some feedback. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll send some traffic your way. Elena, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay, my whizzes, I hope you enjoyed learning from Elena as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. So operations and supply chain can be daunting, but obviously it is part of running a sustainable business. And I know that you can navigate these challenges as you grow. So we are here to help you. So come and join our Food Biz Whiz Facebook group. Come and join the OMG, OMG CPG Facebook group, or reach out to me or Elena on Instagram and continue the conversation. So you will find all of those linked in our show notes. So as always, thank you for tuning in and we will see you right back here next week.
I don't like scare tactics as a way to make sales, but I do want to ask you if you are prepared to pitch to wholesale buyers come January, once we're past the holidays and they're ready to do category reviews and assess new products for their shelves. It takes a few months to get your pitch organized, from redoing your sell sheet, to dialing in your price list, to sorting out your promotional plan, to drafting and finalizing your sales pipeline. It's not something that you want to wing on January 1st. You don't have time for that. That is why we created Retail Ready, to give you the brains of the buyer and all of the tools and coaching and curriculum and community that will help you feel confident in your pitches, land on more shelves, and have a reorder process for increasing sales once you're there. We have supported over 1,000 brands inside of Retail Ready, and we are ready to help you as well. Like I said, no wait list, no sales calls. We are sending you straight to the enrollment page. Click through to the link in our show notes, read through, including that robust FAQ section at the bottom, and find out about our money back guarantee policy. And then get enrolled. We are so excited to welcome you into Retail Ready. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.